Thank you for checking out this episode of Christianity Still Makes Sense with Dr. Bobby Conway. This is a portion of a sermon delivered at Image Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. To hear the full message, head over to imagechurch.live and click watch. Hope you enjoy. We are uh, just so blessed to have each other as a church. And I get to continue to hear the stories about the love that is in this congregation, and it really touches my heart. But that doesn't mean we have mastered uh, this heart project of love. There's so much work to be done, and there's so much learning to be done. And our culture is changing so fast, and it's exhausting to keep up with at times. And none of us should be trying to ever go out of our way to offend. Uh, Sometimes the truth will offend, but it shouldn't be because of a lack of tastefulness. It shouldn't be because of ignorance. We should go out of our way to do the best we can. I will say, you know, we had our first uh, evening of the year with the whole uh, race and healing it, and it was uncomfortable for me at times only because I'm such a unifier that I hate to think of anything messing this up. At the same token, I don't want to have a superficial unity. We want real unity. And I just want to say that, like, you know, even as I was talking with Frank and uh, the team uh, about it afterwards, you know, wherever you are on this, like, the solution is the gospel. And that's what we believe But people might say statements that come into the church because of maybe their political leanings. Some people are influenced by Christian nationalism on one end and then, uh, you know, the progressive movement on the other end. And we want them to be able to come in, but they're typically going to be the ones that are going to be most apt to trigger people with their statements and their words. And so all we're trying to say is if we can create a culture for conversation and be aware of the landmines uh, and, and, and not trigger because the very fact that we're there together is showing we want oneness. And I want to invite even more of uh, our white brothers and sisters to come out and be a part of that. It was amazing to see the turnout. There was great diversity. But the African-American turnout was powerful. And it's a statement of we want to connect. We want you to hear our stories. And you know, sometimes we're thinking, oh, but, but we don't want to feel like, you know, you, you don't, we don't want you to think that we don't like you. And like, you got to put all that aside and just come in there and go, we're going to say things wrong and we're going to ask for forgiveness and we're going to love each other. And we're going to always say that the gospel is our solution. The two biggest issues of our day in our culture that we have to figure out. And by issues, I'm talking about apologetic issues, which means to give a defense for the Christian faith. And the hardest and most challenging areas is in the area of critical theory in our culture that is showing up in different areas. Critical race theory, which, you know, it doesn't mean every single thing about critical theory is wrong. You eat the meat, spit out the bones. But the solution of critical theory is you don't heal old racism with new racism. And that's basically, uh, you know, a statement that my son said, and that's what you do. You just start, you, you, and in other forms of critical theory, it topples the, the, the traditional family. 
uh, and it replaces it. And so the, the, the traditional family will then get oppressed by a certain community. And the thing shouldn't be new forms of oppression. It should be deeper reconciliation. And the gospel is there. And so when people have been influenced by this stuff because of so much media and so not enough Bible reading, we, we feel strongly about something. But my job as a pastor is to keep us in the word, is the gospel reconciling us. And so I, I, I feel it with the, the LGBT as well. And here's what I want to do, though. I, I want to know how to, I want us to be a community, just as we're diverse, I want the LGBTQ community to be able to come here and not feel like I'm setting them off because of my insensitivities. I want to talk about the gospel. And, you know, even yesterday, going back and forth with the friendship I'm building with the trans person and talking and, you know, we're, 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 we're building a friendship, and he's got a lot of things that, that you know, I, I can't, there's things that I could do better. Like, imagine, he said he felt like from a, a little one that, you know, he's an African female born, but he feels like a white male. Now, in a lot of churches, you can just laugh about that and do that, but that's, 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 a, that's a hard thing for somebody. And I want to be tender toward that. And I want to recognize that that's confusing. And the problem is, is the young generation, the, gen, the, 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 the emerging generation, they know all about the gender binary and all this gender stuff. And I don't want to be like the old people that just, you know, are so insensitive and clueless. Like, you know, when you grew up and you just thought, oh, my goodness, they just so lacking in taste, you know, the parents or the grandparents. And then you try to form a new language. And I don't want to be that kind of pastor. I want to stay current without compromise. I want to be convictional without being clueless. And so I sent a message just to give you a sense of my heart. And by the way, this isn't the sermon. This is just culture creating. We're creating culture, tone, right? We're trying to say, you can go to these evenings, and even if you felt like, oh, I wish they would have said more about this or more about this. Look, the very, you know what's so beautiful is we all love each other, and we're given space. But here's what I put in writing to the Strongs. I said, I did want to say that I'm diving deeper into the LGBT stuff. It's a lot. And I realize my ignorance has caused me to, at times, say things that could easily be interpreted as, as insensitive. And for that, I'm sorry. Not to the, they, 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 I was just sharing my heart about what I am about myself. I've been reading a lot of books, maybe four or five books this week on the issue. Uh, I'm wanting to build relationships with that community. But I know if they are ever going to come to Image Church, I need to learn their triggers. And it's so much as it relates to learning about all the types of pronouns and intersex conditions. And I think the Bible's clear, but I'm not clear on the best approach to reach them. And I need to see their heart and feel their pain and be willing to walk with them through it. I'm repenting of my insensitivities. Truly, Lord, forgive me for how my ignorance hurts people. I hate that. So I plan to build relationships and listen to them. And the Spirit, through the lens of God's Word, with the hopes of being a safe place for everyone... The church has been insensitive to their traumas, and I have, and the enemy has confused it with so much lingo. It's going to take some hard studying for me to be more compassionate and learn the best way forward, but I've entered the murky waters. Similarly, CRT is complex, hence the two biggest apologetic issues of our day means we will have to think really hard and love really hard to achieve unity. 
We are all traumatized at certain levels. Some stuff due to our own making and other stuff due to outside influences. Leading a church with so much diversity of theological openness and interpersonal complexity has upped the missional ante for us. Lord, help us. That's my heart for Image Church. And we've got to figure out how to hold the gospel front and center, but to listen. And this is a church that says, you can have all kinds of theological positions. You can have different, you know, skin color. You can have all kinds of stuff. Even the term racism, for example, it's not a biblical term, right? If you think about it, because there's only one race, the human race, Adam. God created Adam, humanity, humans, right? And so in a sense, it, to, to be a racist would be to be against yourself because we're all one human race, so it would be to be anti-self. What happens, it really, the technical term is ethnical prejudices that people have. But CRT would come along and say, everybody's prejudiced. And that's not necessarily the case. We can't just put, pick one sin out and put it on every single individual. Some people aren't. But if you've been influenced by this, and by the way, a lot of people don't know, that whole critical theory, its background is postmodern deconstruction philosophy born out of the universities in France with Michel Foucault and Jacques Derrida where they deconstruct language, but they couldn't get traction with their movement because it's built on relativism, so they connected to the absolutism of cultural Marxism, and then they used that for a lens to overlay culture. There you go. All I'm saying is sometimes the people who have the biggest opinions about things are those who are the most ignorant. And one of the things as a person who has studied and got two doctorate degrees, a four-year master's degree, and studying scholarship and even in preparing to be a scholar in my, in my work, you can't even get out of there unless you show that you can understand the different viewpoints. And so that's one of the dangers. You know, when I was a young leader, I was too strong coming out of seminary and I was myopic and I didn't know how to listen. The more you learn. And I want to present positions fairly and even improve them before I start dismantling them with the truth. But we hold to the gospel. And so all that to say, folks, at Image Church, we have to be able to navigate, and it's going to take some hard thinking, because the enemy has created a couple things out there that people don't realize even that they've influenced. I can hear the influences in our language sometimes. Oh, that's that. I bet you're watching that. I bet you heard that. I can just hear it and feel it. But a lot of people, they don't know it. They don't see it. But you can't unsee it once you see it. And we want to be able to see what's going on so we can be most missional, so that we can give the true solution, which is the gospel. So that said, thank you for this moment together. But I see this as culture creating. We're creating an atmosphere that says, I don't care where you are. If you're struggling with sexual confusion, the, the teenage girls, all that, we need, we're here for you. You can talk about it. A lot of these kids, it's not, be, a lot of churches will tell them, you're simple before even having it. They're confused. A lot of these teenage girls are identifying as one thing because they just want to fit in. They want a place to belong. They want to know that they're safe. And they're not even sexually active. The Bible doesn't condemn the orientation. It challenges the action. And it's heterosexual action as well. It talks a lot more about heterosexual actions. So that said, I hope that you understand how important it is for us to think about this stuff. But here's the deal. 
G.K. Chesterton, the great writer who influenced C.S. Lewis so deeply, was reading in his newspaper. And he came across the statement that said, what's wrong with the world? And he ended up responding with the statement as he wrote back, dear sir, whoever posted that, I am. I'm what's wrong with the world. And you know what? What a great look at it. I'm what's wrong. Paul said he's the chief of sinners. I told you guys last week, does it concern you at all that I told my wife that I think that we're the most dysfunctional family in the church and I'm on point? Now, some people would want to leave the church on that. I think we should all think we're the most dysfunctional. I think we should think that we're the chief of sinners. I think we should all recognize how hopeless we are without a little extra grace and love to be able to work through this. I don't think any of us should think that we're the final solution to the world's answers. I think we should all recognize that we've got problems and dysfunctions. And so we're going through the book of 1 Corinthians talking about the dysfunctional church, but really what we're going to do is we're going to look at our own dysfunctions. And I'm even going to push park when we get to some of these passages on sexuality because I don't want to be insensitive. I want to step back and I want to help us to understand the sexual universe that we're living in so that we can sharpen the way that we think so that we can talk with people in a more tasteful way. And you can ask questions about whatever you want. Text them in. We want to help. You should feel coached. You should feel encouraged in a church when you go to one. And so there are differences. But the problem, Chesterton said, is myself. And, you know, I think we all sense there's something broken in the world, that there's something broken in our own lives, but we don't always know what that is. A lot of times we don't want to deal with our brokenness, so we anesthetize ourselves with drugs and alcohol and escape or lashing out at others. But the reality is, is these dysfunctions need to be addressed in our life and in the church. Otherwise, we just get toxic and we lose our witness and we lose our hope. And so when we think about the dysfunctions that we're going to be talking about over the next several weeks, it's my real hope that there'll be a powerful healing in your home life, in your own personal life, and in our church, that God will begin to heal wounds in such a powerful way that you never thought he could reach in and touch. But every worldview has to give an answer for why is the world so dysfunctional? And by worldview, I mean the way we see the world, the lens through which we see the world. And all of us have a worldview, whether we are aware of it or not. Some of us have a Christian worldview, and we have an answer for why the world's dysfunctional. But when you talk to other people, if you go to parts of the East, or if you were to go to Hawaii, talking to Buddhists, the Buddhists would say the reason that we are so messed up, the problem with the world is suffering. And the reason that we suffer is because we have desires. And the way to get rid of suffering is to get rid of your desires. Therefore, you won't have blown expectations. And so you learn how to just find that peace through meditation and through breathing. And then what ends up happening, those are actually good things. Like it's okay to breathe and relax and meditate, right? But we shouldn't be making poses in honor of the different deities that are out there that they're worshiping, and Hinduism in particular. You step back and you think about Hindus. They have answers to what they think the world is made up of and why it's so dysfunctional, and karma's the problem. 
And for them, you're living, if you live in India, you're, the, the, the life you're living, it, it's really just the result of a past life that you once lived. Now imagine that. You talk about identity issues, right? Imagine trying to tap in to thinking about who you used to be, what your life used to be like. That's an identity crisis going on there in India. And then as a result, there's over 300 million gods that are worshipped in Hinduism. And these gods contradict each other. And so I go, man, this, this can't be the truth because the gods contradict each other. And Hinduism isn't going to be a compassionate movement in the deepest kind of way because you're just getting your just desserts for the bad karma that is presenting itself to you. And you just got to work it out. But you shift over to Islam, and they talk about the dysfunction of the world. And for them, it's not sin, it's ignorance. And as if we could be enlightened, and then all we have to do is know the right thing, and then we'll do the right thing. But how many of you know that you have been informed on the right thing to do, and you still do the wrong thing? So ignorance isn't the issue. I have a bent heart toward doing things that are self-destructive and dysfunctional, that destroy the very core of my being. And atheists, when you talk to them, they have an answer for why the world's so dysfunctional. Now, it's interesting because on atheism, you think about it, and it depends on the type of atheist. You can't put all atheists into one group. There are different types. There are those who are atheistic moral Platonists who believe that there is objective morality existing outside of themselves. And there's a world of Platonic forms where there are these ideas and virtues that we're seeking to conform to. Other atheists are moral relativists that don't believe in absolutes. All I'm trying to say, if your head is spinning at the moment, is we've got to think about What's the best answer? What's worth living for? Like, do you know what you're living for? Do you know what your worldview is? Do you know what the solution is to our dysfunctions? The Bible comes along and says, and it's not an, the, the only problem, but it's the result of, it's the core of the problems that creates the other problem. Our problem is sin. And you think, well, wait a sec, man, I don't really like that. Well, let's talk about this for a moment because you hear the word sin and you think, sin! Sin means to miss the mark. It comes from the Greek word hamartia. It, it's, a, it's an archery word. Picture trying to shoot an arrow at a bullseye. And when you miss the mark, what, what sin is, is none of us have lived up to the standard that God has laid out for us. We all fall short. We're all out of relationship with our creator. And we're all looking for different solutions to deal with our dysfunctions apart from the one who built us and designed us and made us and created us. And therefore, as the Bible talks about hamartia, sin, to miss the mark. To miss the mark of what? God's standard of morality. His objective standard of morality. Well, what do you mean by objective, Bobby? Something is objectively right or wrong, independent of whether we think it is right or wrong. So if I was at the Grand Canyon, and we were looking at the vistas, and I just saw some guy standing near the cliff, and I just kind of thought it would be fun to walk up and bump him and knock him off the cliff, and he just went screaming down, and I was like, oh, man, I'm so sorry, and I acted like it was an accident, it's still objectively wrong even if I thought it was okay to do that because I have no moral standards. 
objective right and wrong. There is a right and wrong that exists outside of us. And you know it. You ever feel like God is watching you? What does guilt say? That we've offended someone. That someone knows about us. But that someone alerts us with guilt, not to haunt you, but to hunt you down and rescue you so that you can fall into his ways of living so that you can no longer be beat up by all the dysfunctions that life brings your way. And so there is an objective standard that is held out of morality that we're to conform to that is ultimately rooted in God's holy nature. And God can't lower the standard of his expectations for us to live because if God is the most fulfilled being in the universe and God is the most holy being in the universe, then it lets us know that we don't need the simple things that we think that we need in order to be fulfilled. And so God's not gonna lower the standard, but he knows we can't meet the standard, that there is a gap between us and him, a relational gap. And there's no way we can get to heaven on our own. And so what do we do to close the gap? Some, some religions try to earn God's approval. Other people in our culture today try to minimize the moral standard and say there's no such thing as morals. But we can't do either of those. What's so beautiful about God as we turn to 1 Corinthians and walk through these verses is he closes the moral gap, to use the language of the Yale scholar John Hare, he closes the moral gap. He knows we can't meet the standard. But he's not going to lessen the standard. He's going to still call us to the very best, the most fulfilled life. But in the process, he's going to say, and I'm going to wash you with grace over and over and over and over and over and over again if you just stay connected to me. But don't try to lower the standard because you're frustrated by it. Remember, I've given you the resource of my son Jesus and the cross to help you with it. And so in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we're going to talk about it. But before we do, consider a couple quotes. We need to know, like, you know, Jean-Jacques Rousseau of the 18th century said, man is born free, right? And everywhere he is in chains. Now, are we born free? What is this saying? There's a, a conversation between nature and nurture. And this is saying that man's nature is free, like man's nature is good. Tabula rosa, a blank slate, like we're born with a clean slate. Our nature's good. It's not bent toward darkness. It's, it's what messes us up in this world is the cultures that we live in. The societies are the ones that make us dysfunctional. But G.K. Chesterton said this about nature. Certain new theologians dispute original sin, which is the only part of the Christian theology which can really be proved. <laughs> you want empirical evidence for the fact that we're sinful? Look at our world. Look at the hatred. Look at the killings. Look at the divorce. Look at the... Look at the calling evil good and good evil that we're experiencing in our culture today. And so G.K. Chesterton, what's he doing? This is being said in the 19th century, folks. We think we're so progressive in our progressive Christianity, like we're the enlightened ones. No, they were battling this stuff all along. And when you start learning history, it's like, for example, you'll hear statements like, the Bible is not challenging, you know, uh, homosexual uh, behavior, the Bible's not challenging homosexual orientation, gay orientation, it's challenging that behavior. People will say the ancient world knew nothing of it. Listen, I'm gonna be in Pompeii this week at Mount Vesuvius. Did you know many of their vases and much of their artwork shows displays of homoerotic love between people that were very connected 
Paul wasn't ignorant of sexual orientation. And so we think that we're the ones finally being enlightened. But if we look at Rome and we look at Greece, we're actually building our own gallows and we're soon going to hang from it as a culture. And we need to be aware of what's happening. And so what Paul is going to do right now is he is going to help us to realize the cure, the, 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 the medicine, the balm of our dysfunctions. And so we read as we pick up in part two of this series in verse 18 in chapter one. And he says, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Now, the word of the cross is folly to those who are being saved, right? Or to those who are perishing. Because for many of those that are perishing, they'll say, our problem's nature. Our problem's, you know, it's a nature issue, or, or nurture. But it's really both, right? Is it nature or nurture? Is it A or B? Whenever you hear that, ask yourself, am I being presented with a false dilemma? Is it A, nature, or B, nurture? Well, all, don't let people trap you in that kind of thinking. Go, well, is, what if it's C? Thank you for checking out this episode of Christianity Still Makes Sense. This show is just one of the many resources available to those who are doubting their Christian faith. You can also find others at ChristianityStillMakesSense.com. This is a listener-supported show, and your gift of any amount helps shows like this continue. Click on the donate link on our website. Also, catch Bobby on Pastor's Perspective, where he answers your questions. Finally, if you're watching on YouTube, be sure to click subscribe and check out our other videos on the channel. This show was sponsored by K-Wave and Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa.